Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. I'm Dana Zook. Today I am at Oklahoma State University, the Animal and Food Sciences Department. I am joined today by Dr. Paul Beck. He was here on the podcast last summer, I think. Yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah, we talked about finishing beef. So you're a little familiar with Dr. Paul Beck. He is a professor here in the Department of Animal and Food Sciences, but he's our one of our beef extension specialists. And so welcome back to the podcast, Paul. Thank you, Dana. I enjoyed it. So this week, I have invited Dr. Beck to talk about some interesting research they are doing at the Willard Sparks Beef Research Center and other uh, research centers around our campus here on is what we call beef on dairy. Okay. And, and would that would be the term that you call it, Paul? That's that's what a lot of people are, are referring to it as. And it's basically just using beef genetics uh, as sires on dairy cows Okay. Uh, in, in their production system. Uh, what the dairies are doing right now is they've got the uh, some reproductive technologies that allows them to breed their very best cows to selected semen so that they could be assured of getting a replacement heifer out of those very best cows. Okay. So that sexed semen is what they're calling that. And then they will, uh, there are other cows that are not their best cows. They'll use beef genetics on those, whether it's a natural service or for the most part of the bigger dairies are using just beef semen uh, in their AI program to produce a beef and dairy cross calf to just create a pregnancy so that they can and get the next milk production cycle yeah. going. Because that's what that's what the dairy industry, you know, that's where their focus is, is milk production. So we got to have a calf yep. to have milk production. So what's, let's back up and historically, how did they do it, Paul? I know you're not a dairy, dairyman, but historically, how did they do that? Well, you know, whenever our parents and grandparents were farming. Everybody had a few dairy cows. Mm -hmm. Predominantly, they'd um, just to get that next cycle going, they'd use a beef bull because they had other beef cattle. So it's not a really new thing to have this beef on dairy. But as dairies got more specialized, uh, using AI technologies, uh, they were the you know largest adapters of artificial insemination, using just the very best uh, dairy genetics uh, on all their cows to to produce offspring and they were assured to get about 50% females and 50% males. We've gone through some cycles and it kind of follows our, our beef cattle cycle. Whenever there were real low on cattle numbers in the beef side, those dairy calves become pretty valuable mm -hmm. and feeders and uh, growers were, would be willing to buy those just 100% dairy uh, steers to put into their production just to produce beef, keep their pens full, that type of thing. Because it's a good source of ground beef, right? Right. They use mostly yeah. for ground beef or, or and, lean beef source, right? Well, you know, the dairy cows are. Yes, the dairy. Okay. All but right. whenever we look at the, the uh, like a Holstein steer, they mm -hmm. will, they, they don't have a really nice shaped ribeye, but they do produce a lot of marbling. Mm -hmm. So they okay. are a source of fairly high quality Okay. Uh, beef for some markets. The problem is they are slow gaining. Their feed efficiency is pretty bad. They eat a lot of dry matter uh, mm -hmm. just because of the, the dairy selection. And their carcass uh, dressing percent is is fairly low. Uh, you know, we'll look at uh, their dressing percent on a 100 percent dairy calf as, you know, being in the you know, the high 50s to, to low 60s, where right now in the beef industry, we're expecting 64 
percent or higher dressing percent on a, a really good mm-hmm. uh, beef calf. So those 100% dairy calves have become kind of a drain on their market. It's a, it's not, it's a, just a byproduct of their production. Uh, since they've been able to use these sex semen, they can add a lot of value to those male offspring by influ- putting some beef influence into those genetics and they increase gain, increase the efficiency, uh, change the muscle shape of, of the ribeye so it's more uh, desirable and you know keep a lot of that high marbling that the, the dairy influence would give you. When I was growing up, and I think I said this the last time, we finished Holstein sears because they were a cheap, cheaper source than a beef animal. We didn't we didn't keep our beef calves to finish. We bought some dairy calves. And yes, they ate a lot. And the T-bone, which we ate a lot, we ate T-bones. I don't know if that's a common thing anymore, but the T-bone was as large as the plate. Yeah. Like there's no sides when you have steaks at the Christensen household. There was no sides, just the T-bone. So I can see how Maybe not everybody wants a steak that, that that's that big. So that's like the difference in shape, like yeah. in size and and well, and what our consumer wants. Right. If, if you look at a, a 100% dairy, you know Holstein for sure to get them fat with you know the sub Q fat at you know six tenths of an inch or mm-hmm. or whatever your target is, those cattle get really really big, yeah. and you know that equates to a bigger ribeye whenever you. Right. Do slaughter them. Okay. So it sounds like what the dairy industry doing is is a little bit like what we've seen in other, like maybe the hog industry, the poultry industry, and in that they're, in my mind, they're sectioning off. They're saying, okay, this is our, this is our herd that we're going to develop replacement heifers with. We're going to develop replacement heifers for our dairy, for, for future dairy cows. And then they're going to say, well, these other cows, like you said, we're going to produce beef. Wow. That's, that's going to be one of our byproducts. Um, while still getting a, a cow that comes back into uh, milk for that time. So that's pretty interesting with that improved re- reproductive technologies with the sex semen and that sort of thing that they can do that. So that's kind of cool yeah. because historically, a lot of these dairy calves will go into veal production, right? Yes. I'm not an expert in that market by any means, but that market really has fallen off. Is that the case? Yeah, Paul? it's much less popular to veal has become much less popular just Consumer demand and consumer issues mm-hmm. uh, has really affected that. So where do you go with all these calves? They're going to hit the beef market somewhere. Okay. As packers have had problems with oversized carcasses on the, the those big dairy steers, mm-hmm. it's become very regionalized. And those dairy calves at the uh, dairy, you know, they try to sell them at, you know, as soon after birth as they can get rid of them. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at maybe $50 a, a calf for a 100% dairy calf compared with a, maybe $200, $250 for a day-old uh, beef on dairy calf. Okay. So there's a lot more value for those beef on dairy crosses just because of those changes in efficiency and production that make them more desirable as a as a calf. Okay. So tell us a little bit about, like, just getting into your research. Tell us a little bit about what's the kind of traditional stepwise phase for these calves. So they're born at the dairy, then they go to, you said, a calf ranch, right? So give kind of us a background of kind of the traditional kind of way they would be fed. Traditionally, the calves that are born on a dairy, uh, they're separated from the cow at birth. Um, 
for sure the heifers that would have a higher value that would become potential replacements are given colostrum and then they're they're put on milk replacer the male calves are much less cared for especially whenever they're 100% dairy calf they may or may not get colostrum at birth you know before they're sold they may or may not you know get adequate milk replacer they're they're you know not getting much for that calf so they're a second thought okay and we're hoping if you know the dairy sees value in the beef on dairy calf that they will get that calf on a good plan of nutrition get get it some colostrum because that sets up you know the the health of the calf for the rest of its life we see in beef cattle if a calf doesn't get adequate colostrum at birth you know, it's it's behind the eight ball on, you know, its entire life, and much mm-hmm. more likely to get sick and die and not make it through weaning or any of our other production practices. Okay. So those calves are much of the time commingled. Uh, the large dairies or, or in a very uh, high dairy concentration area, there will be co-ops that come through and pick up the, the steer calves, transport them to a central facility, a lot of times we call those calf ranches. Okay. A very large commercial uh, bottle feeding operation. Right. That's what I'm thinking about. They're, yeah. They're, yeah. They're uh, feeding a milk replacer or cold milk from the dairies, you know, may have antibiotic residues or something in that. <laughs> and they'll feed that to the calves along with providing a, a starter feed. What we found in some of research in that area is if we are providing adequate milk solids that decreases the starter feed intake. Okay. So if we provide a really good milk replacer in adequate amounts, then that slows the progression onto dry diets and that increases their gut health. If they have are shorted on those milk solids, they'll eat more feed and can get into some where they're eating more too much grain and get acidosis, digestive upsets, uh, and as we go through the production cycle, and these cattle start, you know, at birth, right? You know, on this, the longer we are, the more aggressively we feed them, the more chances we're going to have digestive upsets, and that progresses into liver abscesses, which is becoming a, identified as an issue. That's interesting because, well, when I was a kid, we did a, quite a few bottle calves, and we wanted them on feed as fast as possible because, you know, feeding bottles is not like the greatest thing, and milk replacer is so expensive yes so that's interesting because in my mind a lot of those bottle calves they always look like a bottle calf like they're always just just, they just don't they never did turn out quite a quite the way as a calf that's on its mother so sounds like maybe we should be you know there should be some guidelines or maybe keeping them on that milk replacer just for a set amount of time like that's good for them yeah that's interesting I know I interrupted you, Paul, but no, that's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's my, my wheels yeah. are turning. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so um, when they are doing this for their replacement heifers, they do follow those guidelines. Okay. Because they are, you know, we set them up for the rest of their life. That impacts future milk production, just like it would on that male calf affecting future beef production. Okay. Following the, the calf ranch, you know, usually that's about 90 days. They're on a starter feed, so they're, they progress from milk to milk with a little bit of starter feed and they step them up onto the the starter grower type ration then at about 250 to 300 pounds those calves will go to a grower operation 
back in the 70s and 80s or, or even before that, a lot of these dairy calves would go on to stalker operations and, and get started uh, you know, in, in grazing operations. Mm-hmm. Now, predominantly, a lot of them are, are going straight to just a, a dry lot growing operations. And uh, depending on how aggressively they get fed, they try to keep those four or five months and get them up to about 700 pounds, 650, 700 pounds before they go to a commercial feedlot. In our research, what what we did here uh, for these calf-fed uh, diets or calf-fed program, we would get them in weighing, they averaged about 280 pounds when we okay. got them from um, the growing up or the milk replacer operation. And this was in cooperation with the uh, Purina Land O'Lakes. Okay. We started them on our normal receiving diet. Just fairly high roughage, uh, high in byproduct feed. Sweet, we use sweet bran, which okay. is a wet uh, corn gluten feed. We start them on that for about a week, and then we put them on a, a fairly high protein, a high roughage grower diet to get them up to about 680 pounds. And it's when you start looking at it, those calves weighing about 280 to uh, you know, 500 pounds, we're needing close to about 20% crude protein in those grower diets. And that's a fairly expensive mm-hmm. ration. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we try to keep a, you know, 25% roughage. So most of the rest of that diet, since it's fairly high in roughage, is a pretty high quality diet. So that's another place where a lot of growing operations will cut back in that production system and when we decrease the the protein content, we're not quite meeting their requirements. You know that changes the gut health, right? And you know leaky gut and all those things. We can, if we're feeding too high a grain during this time to cheapen the ration up, that could be another source of our digestive upsets and liver abscesses. Okay. So we kept them on a grower diet, probably in that high quality grower diet, a little bit longer than a lot of operations would until they weighed on the average it was about 680 700 pounds okay and then we started them on a finisher diet but instead of our eight percent roughage finishing diet we used a 12 percent roughage finishing diet for about half of the finishing program okay interesting so these cattle even as a the real lightweights coming in they're eating on the average all the way through the finishing program about 22 pounds of dry matter a day on the average and that's about what you'd expect from a yearling beef calf. Right. <laughs> that's a lot. Our uh, diets are about uh, 78 to 80 percent. OK. All right. They're a little drier. OK. So that's going to be like 30 pounds yeah. of total of yeah. total feed. OK. Yeah. I just think that that's important to think about. And, yeah. Um, you know, they're eating a lot of feed even, you know, and that's going from 280 pounds all the way up to I think our average was about 1360 okay. uh, for those calf feds. And that was about 311 days. Okay. Um, so we we fed them the twelve percent roughage finishing diet, or or really for most operations that'd be their number three starter diet. Okay. And before we'd move them on to the full finisher, at about sixty days left on feed, we'd move them to the sixty to eighty days left on feed. We'd move them to the low roughage finisher, put them on Optiflex for the last twenty eight days, and then they were at about half an inch of back fat at about three hundred ten to three hundred twenty days on feed. Uh, we could get them up to six tenths, you know, which is kind of the uh, industry average right now at about mm-hmm. 
330 days on okay. feed. And how does that compare back to a beef finished animal? How many days would we typically see it? Because I assume it's longer. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. much longer. Okay. Um, you know, on a straight dairy calf, a lot of times they'll expect about 410 days on feed. Okay. Um, so even though we weren't very aggressive on our feeding operation, we didn't move to a really hot finishing mm -hmm. diet as quickly. We still took a lot of days off uh, their finishing program okay. compared to a lot of our dairy operations. You know, a 700-pound native beef steer going on feed, mm -hmm. you were going to slaughter then about, you know, 1,400 pounds. So we're putting 700 pounds on right. there. So we're we're still looking at about 200 uh, 30 days. On okay. Feed That's what I was like thinking. That. I was thinking about that. So that gives people kind of a, a, an idea. So just strain beef animal, 230 days on feed, beef on dairy animal, 330 days on feed. Yeah. But, but going from yes, much lighter weight. Yes. Right. A calf fed. So what I'm going to do listeners is this is an excellent conversation where, where we want to break this up into two episodes. I think we're going to bring Paul back here in a couple weeks and talk about specifically his research. Listeners, stay tuned. There'll be some information in the show notes, but I'm glad you joined us for this first week. But tune in and we will catch you in a few weeks with Paul's research. 